It's not just a box anymore. And it becomes a tech-enabled, living, breathing, you know, kind of environment. And how you tailor that environment to the wants, needs, desires of, you know, primarily the next gen. Right? The A-Fire podcast um, I, I think at Expo Real. Welcome to the A-Fire podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. So, uh, I am speaking to you uh, from the uh, Expo Real in Munich, or what I like to call the, uh, the COVID Expo, because it's the first one we've had uh, since the shutdowns began uh, a year and a half to almost two years ago. Uh, and it is different. There's no question this is a different kind of conference than one we've had in the past and what that looked like. And just walking around here is different. And so I'm, I'm glad to have Janice Stanton, who is also a, a, a veteran of a few of these meetings over the years and uh, has, a, has a great perspective on it. Janice Stanton is the executive managing director at Cushman Wakefield, and she is part of the executive committee at AFIRE and a, a real help and colleague uh, as we work through what we're doing with AFIRE. So thank you, Janice, for taking the time to uh, sit down with me uh, and be a part of the AFIRE podcast. Well, thanks, Gunnar, for asking me. You know, it's it's great to be back at Expo, you know, after a long, very difficult uh, period. It feels like a little bit of a return to normalcy, even though people keep yelling me to put a mask on, although I do most of the time have a mask on. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and attendance is a little bit lighter, um, but I feel that, you know, there's been a tremendous shift in outlook yeah. uh, from investors now. And I feel like people are more optimistic, even, you know, if this expo is possibly less global than prior expos, where you would see Middle Eastern investors and Asian investors, whereas I think it's more firmly, you know, kind of um, European investors this time. I do feel like everyone that I've talked to is saying, you know what, we've seen the market, we think bottom in, we see it recovering, we're coming to the US in November. Now, of course, everyone wants to come the same week in November, which is not great, but, <laughs> but I mean, it feels good to be back to business. It feels good, you know, um, that we can have an event like this, even with the precautions that we're taking. You know, it, you get so much more from an interaction face-to-face than you do over Zoom. I mean, Zoom is great when you have no real alternatives, but um, I think that this expo has been hugely important in restarting, you know, kind of the investment process between the U.S. and Europe, and, and more specifically, um, a lot of the capital here is German. Absolutely. This year. Yeah, and the language is German. That's, that's the what language we're here. is German. <laughs> the food is German. <laughs> the food is German. Everything's German. There's no yeah. English to be had. Um, well, I... I how long do you think that will continue? Do you think it, that this will change Expo, or are we going to go back to kind of that more global feeling where folks from Asia and North America were here as well? Um, yeah, so I think we're going to go back um, to, I think the travel 
is what's limiting. We actually had much larger numbers the week before, um, but anyone who wasn't vaccinated had a lot of trouble um, getting, you know, couldn't come into Germany. Uh, and the guidelines kept changing. They do change on a weekly basis. Um, so I think that as we're getting through this, we're going to get much more back to normal. The level of kind of uh, German investor interest in travel to the U.S. has exceeded my expectations. You know, in terms of almost everyone that we're talking to says, you know, we plan to come um, in no early November and late November. Um, you know, last year was a fallow year. So we have cash to deploy, you know, the returns, even though I caution people, you know, some of these markets are at, you know, kind of higher than pre-COVID levels, you know, that's exactly what's happening in Europe anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's not an unexpected outcome. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I have much more confidence in what's happening in our markets now after having attended Expo. It feels right. like we're getting back to business as usual. Absolutely. We're not there yet, but... No, no. Well, you know, when, when we're not wearing a mask all the time, that's when it will feel like we're back to normal. And you know what? It's like, it's some people are very good at recognizing people just by the eyes, you know? <laughs> I'm not. You know, I, I'm not, you know? <laughs> I, I must be a mouth person. I look at their mouths, I, I don't know, uh, to, to figure out where they are. Um, well, as you look at this and you look at, you know, certainly the increase in value that's occurring, uh, that's continuing to occur both in Europe and the United States, uh, where, did, where does this go? I mean, you know, increase in value in office. This is an area where everyone keeps talking about, well, I don't know about office. No one's coming in. You know, what, what yeah, is that? Well, you know, so you would think after 18, 19 months of work from home, we would have figured out what work from home means. But the answer is we're not going to figure out until people are actually physically back in the office. And if you look at the Castle um, Systems data, and Castle Systems are the ones that you swipe in and swipe out of on a daily basis. While people anecdotally can say, oh, we're 75 back or 50% back, if you look at the actual data, it's in the high 30s, you know, so let's yeah. call it 36, 38, depending on the week. And that's an average of Monday through Friday occupancy. It's an average across the U.S. It is higher in markets like Texas. I think it's higher in drive-to markets where people feel safer. They don't have to take mass transportation to get there. And it's lower, kind of 10 points lower in a market like New York. And it's maybe as low as in the 20s in a market like San Francisco. So... Um, the issue in all of these markets is until people are actually physically back in the office, because these numbers used to be in the 95% range, um, you know, it's going to be hard to kind of figure out what the long-term implications are. And the tenants, uh, not the tenants, the landlords are still kind of treading lightly right. because Delta is still an issue right now. Yeah. Um, so what we try to do is we try to read the tea leaves by what our tenant rep brokers tell us tenants are asking, or see, asking for and what they're seeing today. And only in the last quarter have we started to see like um, requests for tours of leasing space up 80%, okay, which is a marked increase. Yeah. Um, our brokerage head of leasing used to call himself the king of the one-year extension, and now we're seeing six-year extensions. So you've gone from, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm going to extend for one year and then figure it out later, to, okay, I think I know what I want to do is I want to remake my space to make it more inviting, reflect my culture, be a carrot in drawing people back to the office. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I need to sign, because I'm going to spend money on that, I'm going to ask right. the landlord for TI dollars, I need to sign at least a six-year lease. Um, we're seeing tech tenants who used to take 120 square feet per person, which is like elbow to elbow, 
now saying maybe 20% of my workforce may work from home, but for the 80% that are coming in, I'm moving my metric from 120 to 150 because I want to make it a place that people want to come to, which also means not only in terms of spaces and inviting spaces and meeting areas, it also means the quality of the space they're looking for is higher. Right. You know, um, the HEPA filtering and the feel of new buildings, you know, definitely there is a flight to quality going on um, in the leasing markets. And all of that data isn't showing yet. I mean, we have very high vacancy rates um, because, you know, job growth is 80, white collar job growth is 82% correlated to absorption, but it's lagged, okay? Leasing and, you know, tours of leasing space, once again, correlated to ultimate absorption, but lagged. So we still see another six to 12 months of kind of sluggish performance as, as these green shoots kind of grow into something that are that's going to improve rents and improve occupancy but at least the green shoots exist now whereas six months ago you know it was just um nobody could make any decisions so these people that are starting to say okay i can see at least six years ahead and, and i want to do these things uh, not as good as 10 but still six is better than one eight yeah <laughs> i'll take it uh what are they seeing in terms of their own culture and their own employee behaviors, what they want? I mean, in terms yeah. of when do they come in, when do they stay at home, yeah. how often do they come in, that sort of thing. Yeah, so nobody wants to stay home on a Wednesday. Everyone wants to stay home on a Friday. So when when we talk to tenants about, you know, kind of how you juggle the space, um, you know, it looks like there are going to be peak days. And in some sense, you know, the castle system numbers we were talking about, maybe they should reflect peak day occupancy, not average occupancy. So you could see that Wednesday, instead of it being an average of 38, maybe Wednesday is 65 or something. Um, so, you know, 90% of all people that we surveyed want the flexibility to work from home, okay? That said, they want some flexibility. That said, we poll people and then break them out based on how much time they're spending at home versus in the office. And you see a huge drop off in terms of level of engagement, level of learning, happiness, productivity, when you're out of the office three plus days a week. So it's pretty clear at this point that, you know, that three days, you know, being in the office the majority of the time is important. It is more important actually to the younger employees than to the older employees. And that makes sense, right? Because right. when you're younger, you're learning, there's mentorship. Uh, actually, it's the baby boomers who are the happiest <laughs> working from home, you know, but it's the Gen Z who, you know, want to get back in the office. So, But it sounds like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, work in the office work week. You know, that's what people want. Um, the issue is with productivity. The employers who have been, you know, very um, accommodating so far are starting to struggle with, you know, kind of the lack of engagement, the lack of culture, the turnover, okay? And, you know, I think it was Morgan Stanley that said, you know, yeah, you can work from home a day a week, but it can't be Friday, right? You know, so you want flexibility, <laughs> you're not going to the Hamptons, you know? Like, it's, you know, flexibility means you get some quiet time, but, yeah. you know, we still need you to be engaged and, and working. So, uh, you know, the, the kind of 
they're using a carrot and a stick methodology. So the carrot to bring people back into the offices, we're going to make this space amazing. Right. Right. It's going to reflect our culture. It's going to be high quality. You know, you're going to feel safe. You're going to feel embraced. Um, and then there's a stick, which is guess what, guys? All of you guys who are employed in San Francisco and New York who packed up and went to Texas or Florida and you know, you had an income tax saving, you had a you know, cost of real estate saving, guess what? You know, if you don't live within two hours from the office, we will start paying you the rate in that market um, because you're not really local. So between the carrot and the stick, we've actually started to see a return to the gateway cities on the multifamily side. And I think it's part of the stick, you know, that employers are saying, I want you back in the office or I'm going to pay you less if you're not going to be in the office. And it's also Gen Z. You know, people said people, um, you know, kind of multifamily stats went down and people fled the cities. I think a big portion of that is parents going, we don't know what's going on. Come home. I want my kids to come home. Right. And then you get, you know, after a year of being home with your parents, (laughs) right? Gen Z is like, I don't care if I get COVID, you know, <laughs> like send me back to the city, <laughs> like, you know, so, so we have seen now kind of a big spike in demand and absorption in multifamily, whereas like six months ago, a year ago, people were saying, wait, New York, is it over? And it's like, guess what? New York's not over. And employers are recommitting Google, Amazon, because where else are you going to find a million STEM graduates in right. one place? Right. Right. So we're starting to see people were worried about gateway cities and you know we're starting and everyone's saying don't count them out yet but now you're actually seeing the data right which is the tech companies most likely to be able to work from home taking more square feet per person recommitting to the big cities gen z who people are desperate to hire are saying i've got to get out my mother's basement you know <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going back to the city i still want to work from home a day a week or two days a week, but I want back. Yeah. Right? Well, I want to give you full credit because you predicted this a year ago when everyone was talking about the exodus. Remember all the headlines about the exodus from our major cities. And you were saying, yeah, but these Gen Zs, they're they're eager to come. You were right. You were right. You know, you know, thank you for saying that. You know, <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if we should keep a checklist of every time I'm right or wrong. But, but you know, but I, I saw that in my analysts, right? You know, your analysts are saying, um, you know, I am in Podunk, you know, or whatever. Because, I mean, when you get older, you tend to live in the suburbs. You tend to live, you know, somewhere where there's not a big nightlife or there's not a lot of density. There's not a lot of younger people to meet and greet and you know we saw that early on yeah you know we saw gen z just say you know it's time yeah right so yeah you know and believe me i have a 16 year old who doesn't want to be with me now so <laughs> I, I can i can totally sympathize with C. well and then there was a little bit of i think people got a little confused when you were starting to see the millennials maybe go to the suburbs more but they're at that point in their life, you know, they're exactly. having kids, you know. It just so. accelerated a pre-existing trend, which was going to happen anyway. Right. It's like, if I'm going to move in three years, I could do it now anyway. I have a concern when it comes to the CBDs, when we start, when we talk about, you know, how much is the office going to be used? Is it going to be a peak day or a peak three or four days or whatever that is? Is that part of what makes a CBD work is all the industries that support it that depend on five days of density, 
are we are, are we getting ourselves a little bit into, I mean, are we going to have trouble with it? So that's absolutely an issue for like um, a midtown CBD kind of environment, which is mostly um, office. It is not an issue for the live, work, play markets. Right. Because honestly, when people are still working from home, like if you look at, you know, kind of any one of the big cities, if you go to the restaurant scene where people live, restaurants are quite crowded. Right. Right. If you look at the restaurants where it's just and you know kind of a business lunch crowd, it's you know it, it's it's more scarce. So there is going to be um, you know kind of a you know kind of a rebalancing um, of you know the retail in the CBDs. But I would also say that I think I think some of this is still temporary, yeah. right? You know, if people are really going to say, okay, January 1st is the date, it was like, first it was September of 2020, then it was like, no, I'm only kidding. It's, you know, May of 2021, and now it's September of 2021. No, no, no. Now we're really serious. Everyone's back as of (laughs) January of 2022. But I think at that point in time, okay, you, I mean, based on the productivity stats, based on the happiness stats, there is going to be a major push. Yeah for four days a week, mm-hmm. okay? Which could support, you know, kind of that ground level retail. Two days a week could not. Yeah. So I think the jury's still out on that, but well, I, yeah. I'm more optimistic than most, I think. Well, I mean, part of where, where my concern lay before COVID was that you have monoculture sections of cities, like, you know, some sort of traditional CBD where that's all it is, no one lives there. You know, it doesn't have that 24 seven. that. I hope, you know, my hope is that this kind of promotes more of a feeling of, hey, let's let's take that C-class office and we'll turn it into something where people can live or something so that it can mix with the, the rest and you can have live, work, play. And that restaurant that I want to have downstairs can actually make a living, you know, um, as we go through it. But, so, all right. Well, we've been talking a lot about now and we've been talking a lot about, you know, how we don't know things and, you know, we have a lot to go with. But stretch yourself out in time just a little bit think about everyone's investing for a 10-year time frame so I I find it's interesting that we're not very good at explaining what things are gonna look like 10 years from now but I'm gonna ask the question anyway what are things gonna look like 10 years from now Um, so first off I actually think that a lot of the online buying you don't you don't turn back from that you know I have an 85 year old mother-in-law I didn't think anything could get her to buy online but now that she's online she's not turning back right so (laughs) I mean this kind of accelerated adoption um, it's come off like you know a tiny bit like 1% or something because people want to feel their fruit before they buy it but um, (laughs) other than that you know I really think that structurally um, you know industrial and I've said this for a while is the new retail right so So I, I actually think that that is something that will only accelerate because the younger generation, when it comes into the full buying power, is primarily an online buying generation, mm-hmm. as opposed to right now, where you have people who do 50-50 or you know, adoption of online buying is somewhat less. But that acceleration you've, you've, what we found and experienced during COVID, um, I think is sticking with us, yeah. right? You know, so I think that's a structural change. Um, I think that, you know, kind of structurally what we see in um, multifamily and in office is we probably have the oldest stock 
in the US out of you know, kind of our major trading partners. You know, if you look at the average age of office, um, you know, we don't have the same kind of, um, kind of green standards in the US that there are in Europe. And I think that's going to change. I think it's going to change because the younger generation demands it. Uh, and I think it's going to change because how you look at the office um, now isn't, you know, somebody pays you to go in and that's your cubby and, you know, just go do your thing and leave, but you are being enticed back to the office and, you know, the office reflecting kind of a community with engagement and culture and caring about that. I think the quality of the, I think you're seeing bifurcated pricing. I think you're seeing bifurcated leasing pricing. I think you're going to start to see rent growth in the best quality stuff first, earlier than the you know kind of year and a half out we're expecting to see it everywhere else. So I think this flight to quality is going to become more entrenched and I think it's going to be more entrenched um, in multifamily because people were stuck home so they started to care about their living environment, right? Right. You know, it wasn't like drop and go and to entice people back into the office, you know, it has to be, you know, kind of a place that you want to be. Right. So, so I do think there's going to be um, a flight to quality. I think it's going to be much more green. Okay. Um, we're looking at net zero new developments. Right. You know, which is really remarkable. You know, it's remarkable that we don't have more of them. But I, yeah. I, it's something, you know, I think that um, is a trend that's really going to accelerate. Um, so the tech's been proven out for ten plus years. So it's it's like we we know how to do it, and it's just like why not? Why wouldn't we? Let's just do it. You know, yeah. kind of thing. And the and the technology now. I mean, it's crazy. Um, there is, I think, it's a Dutch company where you know every node um, is electrical node. It has like eight different um, things that it can do. So. You know, instead of just turning on your lights, it can sense how much carbon dioxide there is, right? right? Is that edge it that can, you're thinking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, great. Those guys know. are great. But I mean, so so it's interesting because um, you can pump more oxygen in. You know, you can make it colder. You can make it brighter. You know, um, you know, it, it's a a living kind of reaction to a person in space. In, instead of like when you ask people how you use your space, you don't have to ask people how you use space. You can observe how you use the space by moving in and out. So, I mean, this whole concept, I think, of technology applied to real estate um, has been somewhat behind, you know, kind of other sectors. And I think we're going to see that really accelerate, you know. Um, so, um, it, it's, it's not just kind of like, you know, it's not just a box anymore. And it becomes a tech-enabled, living, breathing, you know, kind of environment, and how you tailor that environment to the wants, needs, desires of, you know, primarily the next gen, yep. right? Um, and I, I think that that is going to really favor uh, the new, right, and tech-enabled spaces, which I think we've just had a lower standard for a long time. I would agree. Um, actually, so anyone who's listening to this, make sure that you paid attention to the, the previous two minutes because she's right when she predicts things. Uh, <laughs> we've already established Yo. that earlier in the podcast, so um, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this has been amazing, uh, Janice. Uh, you are an amazing podcaster. Uh, I, I, I want you back on that microphone as soon as possible. Uh, but for now, thank you for joining me on the Remote A-Fire podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. 
You've been listening to the A-Fire Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A-Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A-Fire Podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. A-Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the A-Fire Podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A-Fire. To learn more about the A-Fire Podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.